This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Daniel Mosu from Nokia and his perspectives on carrier networks, specifically the upcoming 5G, and how Asia businesses and governments are figuring out Internet of Things and smart cities initiatives. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Bernard. How are you? I'm good. Where are you now? I'm in Singapore. Just flew in from San Francisco on Friday. So enjoying a week at home. Must be a long schedule for you, right? It was, yes. But an exciting week behind me. And I'm talking to Daniel Mosuf, Head of Strategic Marketing, Asia Pacific and Japan for Nokia. And we met recently during a Nokia Networks event through the introduction of our friend Charles Reed Anderson, right? Yes, it used to be Nokia Siemens and we're now back to just Nokia. Yes, and we have an interesting topic to discuss, mainly in the network space that actually also enters into the Internet of Things, IoT they call it, and a lot about what's going to happen when the 5G networks come online. But before that, I want to get to know you better, Daniel. How do you start your career? Well, I started my career in mobile, so I have been in mobile pretty much all my life. I started as a developer working in UMTS, Universal Mobile Technology, with Motorola. That was right out of college. I had an option at the time to join Microsoft or Motorola. At the time, those were two very different paths, software or mobile. I chose Motorola. Motorola and here I am 16 years later. <laughs> and then how do you eventually work on networks with Nokia then? Well, no- Motorola got acquired in 2011 by Nokia, at the time Nokia Siemens Networks, which was a joint venture between Nokia and Siemens. And the networks part of the business came in. And then since then, we've transformed a lot from Nokia Siemens to what we are today, just pure Nokia. And that's the business of the carrier networks in the Nokia business line, right? They're separate from the smartphone business that was sold to Microsoft. Absolutely. So we sold the phones business to Microsoft in 2014. And since then, we've been focused on carrier, purely infrastructure services. Very recently, we acquired Alcatel Lucent about two years ago. And that gives us a very large end-to-end breadth of technology products that we offer today. In fact, that's the story we're going to talk about. But before that, I want to ask you, in your career journey so far, what are the interesting lessons learned? I've been quite fortunate. I've worked across a number of uh, geographical areas. So I started in the US, worked in Europe, Middle East, Australia, now in Singapore. I think there are a few key standouts irrespective of where I've worked. I think in the industry today, we look at making decisions very quickly. And I think as I've moved up towards Singapore with my current role, I think that's something that we need to embrace more and more, failing very quickly and looking at new things. So I think that's something that I've learned and I think that's a part of who we need to be. The other thing is you've got to really love what you do. I love Nokia as a brand. It's a powerful brand. You've got to feel strongly about the company you work for as well as I think uh, your own brand that you're needing to develop to build a network today. And also a third one would be for me is to embrace change. In fact, I would look at it as look for change because Again, today in our industry, people who are not focusing on the change, focusing on what they can do to transform their journey in technology, products, solutions, or their own leadership style, I think they're left out. So I think embracing change would probably be the key thing, working across technology, across a wide geographical span as I have. So it's been an interesting path. I come to the main topic of the day about Nokia's network business, 
5G and IoT. So before that, I'm going to start off by asking you a really general question. Can you provide a quick introduction to Nokia and its current focus in carrier networks? Sure. So Nokia has a lot of legacy and a lot of history. We're a 150-year-old company. We have gone through creating leather boots all the way down to technology that we do today. So a very fascinating journey. If we talk about Nokia today, we are moved away from the phones business and we're moved into carrier business, focusing on an end-to-end product with fixed mobile networks, application analytics, and IP and optical business. What that gives us is a breadth of portfolio for carrier infrastructure, but also driving transformation efforts as everyone looks to go digital. So Nokia today stands for a growth business, which is focused on enterprise, as well as technologies such as smart cities, IoT. But a very core business that we sit on is the service provider business, where we're looking to move from 4G to 5G, We've got our bets across on how networks are going to develop in the coming years for massive transformation, for smarter cities, and for the digital transformation. So Nokia is one of the leading vendors when it comes to providing these technology infrastructure services across the globe. So we do not have a smartphone business anymore. Just to clarify at the start of the conversation that we do have Nokia products back in the market, smartphone products. Those are under a brand licensing agreement to HMD Global, but it's good to see the Nokia brand back in business, back in the hand of the consumer, but that's largely through a brand licensing agreement with HMD Global. So we do not manufacture or sell Nokia phones today and focused entirely on carrier. So what's your role in coverage within Nokia now? My role has several, well, first of all, is geographically quite wide. So we're talking about Asia Pacific and Japan. So that excludes China and India. Starts from Bangladesh all the way to Pacific Islands and then also stretches across to Japan and Korea. Very diverse market from a technology point of view. We've got Japan and Korea driving 5G, obviously some parts of Australia, Singapore driving digital transformation, but very new markets such as Bangladesh, Myanmar, where we're just opening licenses, opening broadband and providing basic coverage for people to enjoy broadband. My role is strategic marketing, also market development. So we look at either geographical or vertical markets such as IoT, uh, specifically what verticals in IoT that could be transportation, health, public sector. So my team and I look at how we're going to be enabling business cases, use cases, business models into these markets. And then obviously there is a chunk of it which sits under developing our current business. So working with service providers on 5G, as well as some IP optical fixed network convergence models and how they should network should be transforming in the next two to three years. So a very wide portfolio as well as a geographically diverse market. I'm pretty curious then, where is Nokia's position in the supply chain for the network business, particularly for 5G and IoT? Because you work with enterprises, so it means that most of the telecommunications companies or we call telcos will actually work with you, right? There are, there's also other parts of the business that actually would also link you up with different types of enterprise. We see today Nokia is more a B2B type business, but for C, where the consumers actually using your technology without knowing that you are the backbone behind it. Am I right to say that? Absolutely, absolutely. So you're right to say we work with service providers across the globe. So if you look at my market here, Asia Pacific and Japan, how are we positioned for 5G? 5G is a little bit more than just radio. There is a lot of technology that sits behind 5G. So we can talk about radio, millimeter wave, and how connectivity will change in terms of the radio product itself. But 5G is more of an evolution. We're talking about connectivity, heterogeneous networks, we're talking about virtualization, we're talking about programmable core, 
We're talking about a number of things that enables the functionality and the experience that you as a user will feel. Let's say if you're a user of a network here in Singapore, you're going to feel the responsiveness and the experience as you use your smartphone or multiple devices across a broad range of services. For us, how are we positioned? We're positioned extremely strongly. We are working with the advanced operators in the US as well as Japan on use cases and deployment scenarios as early as 2018. In Korea, there's the Olympics. And within those Olympics, we're looking at what business cases, what use cases can we drive with 5G. So you can talk about 5G VR capability, you can talk about 5G to the home, you can talk about 5G providing virtual experiences for multiple cases when it comes to 5G, and that's synonymous with how applications are delivered on IoT. So how are we positioned? Obviously, we're one of the bigger vendors that is driving the standardization. We are driving a number of use cases into the markets which are more advanced. And obviously, we have a footprint in Asia, which is 4G, and this is an evolution path. So it's not about technology completely being removed and put in, it is an intermediary step towards 5G. So we're positioned very strongly overall as the network's business to take on this market, especially when it comes to mega cities. So when you come to Asia, you're talking about a mass amount of cities that are growing in terms of population. Now, 5G enables connectivity at that broad level, broad-based level, where you will be able to put radio technology to be able to connect multiple things, what you introduced, Internet of Things. So we will be able to do simplified solutions when it comes to use cases such as waste management, energy management, smart grid, industrial IoT. So all of these things are enabled. 5G is the enabler for all of these use cases. So we're, we're in there and we're ready to take on the market, working with the service providers to define the priorities that are right, and also attaching ourselves to the public sector and the other enterprise areas of business where a lot of these technologies become more user-centric, more audience-centric. I hope that gives it a good view. Asia is now the largest growing market and it's being mobile first is probably going to be the markets that's going to drive 5G adoption as compared to the rest of the parts of the world. And unlike the US market, a lot of things about networks is actually mainly being enforced by government. So I, I want to ask you, what are the products and services offered by Nokia Networks in terms of to your customers? What do they usually use your products and services for in order to enable this 5G and IoT base within their line of businesses? Well, there's a broad base of products. So let's talk about networks first and separate IoT from an application point of view. So if you look at infrastructure, so today we are providing 4G networks. A, a, a problem that you see generally in understanding is that IoT is all about 5G. It's really not. You know, It's about enabling uh, services on connectivity. That could be 4G today. So many of the IoT use cases don't really need to wait for 5G as such because, you know, you'll get different views on when 5G is available if you reach out to the vendors or if you reach out to the service providers. So we've got to be very clear. Today, you can offer IoT services such as smart home on your existing product or your existing network. So what are we selling in that space? Obviously, we're selling mobile networks, right? That includes things like our radio, that includes uh, virtualization, because a lot of customers are looking at cost savings that come up with cloudifying their networks. So the core network can go virtualized and they can save a lot of money in terms of deployment. Then we're looking at things like small cells. So as we go out for mass events, for example, a New Year's event or a nation celebrating its 50th or 52nd as it's very close in Singapore, you can look at small cells enabling networks in that environment. So there is the whole mobile networks portfolio that fits 
fits in quite nicely into the network evolution. Then we've also got the IP, the backhaul, which is very important. So as you drive consumers driving a lot of data through these networks, the backhaul networks or the IP backhaul needs to be refreshed. So we're working with a lot of service providers to evaluate and understand what this progression will be in terms of capacity. So we've got the right product. In fact, uh, we recently launched FB4, which is one of our IP products, the most advanced, I must say, in terms of chipset, in terms of carrying the network traffic that is needed. Then we've got the fiber and mobile convergence, right? So we've got a fixed network business, which looks at convergence. So a lot of service providers who are incumbents and providing a lot of fixed services are looking at how they can converge them. So offering more to the end user with their network. So may you be, may you be mobile or may you be in your home, the services become seamless. And that's something that we're offering in the market. Now, I will stop there with networks. And what I would come to is your other question, which is IoT. Now, what can we enable IoT with? So IoT requires a part of the network. So you look at narrowband IoT, which is something that we're enabling in Singapore with M1. What we would be looking at more, though, is providing a platform where people can come and develop services. And that's where our impact platform comes in, an end-to-end horizontal platform that allows you to have APIs to develop different solutions and run a end-to-end solution when it comes to offering these smarter services, so to say. Within that, then there are a number of analytics that you can provide. So you can provide data collectors and how you do monetization of data, or you build applications on that platform, or there's a host of services in terms of customer experience. Our Motif platform allows you to provide a tailored customer experience effort for the service provider as they use these services. So there is a host of things that we're providing service providers today. And then on top of that is our experience, which is very important. The biggest dilemma people have when it comes to IoT or services is how are you going to make money? What is the use case that is going to drive? We're all in here to make money. So that's where we come in and specifically my team comes in where we're looking at use cases and business models with the customer and bringing in the ecosystem to drive value for the service provider. It's not an easy game. It's not an easy game where you go in and you find, say, well, I want to provide waste management services into Singapore. Who makes money? Where is the money? What's the value for the dollar when it comes to the entire ecosystem? Because you've got a waste management services, you've got a service provider, you've got the vendor. What's the role of each of these people? And what is the pie of money that each of them are going to get? So there's a lot of that analysis that needs to happen. And that's the services or consultancy services that we're able to provide our customers today. So it's a very heavy engagement across the width of services that we just talked about. That comes to this point that I would like to ask. How does Nokia Networks enable countries implementing smart cities with 5G cloud and IoT? I mean, you definitely have done work in Japan, Korea, Singapore, where they are very highly advanced economies. And then you probably would also look into emerging economies like Indonesia, Thailand. Do you see any difference in terms of how they're thinking about smart cities and where their perception of where the smart cities would be? Look, I think in my experience in Asia, I am seeing a lot of appetite in emerging markets. And I think I've got a simple answer for that. And I take this, you know, I, I say this respectfully. As you go into emerging markets, if you go to Bangkok or Jakarta, simply there are more problems to solve. And when you look at technology, it enables a lot more. So if you look at traffic or you look at transportation in general, there is a lot of small issues that can be solved for these cities which are high population as well as high growth cities. 
So from a service provider point of view and from a government point of view, we're seeing a lot of traction. I'll give you an example. In Indonesia, we're seeing traction uh, with the service providers. We actually were able to do demonstrations with Narrowband IoT with one of the largest service providers in Indonesia. We've also worked with them on public safety, public safety over broadband. So I'll stop there and just explain it. Public safety, typically you see radio communication today as you go out and you look at the first response agencies, such as first response agencies, such as the police or health, there is a whole movement on driving public safety over broadband where you would be able to take applications that we generally talked about, such as biometrics and so on, and give them in the hands of these end users, such as the police. So there's a lot of IoT there. There's a lot of applications there. So we're able to move towards uh, lobby the government in a way to see why these services are important for the government in terms of disaster scenarios or in terms of terrorism or in terms of other first response agencies that need the they need the services out in the field. So we're seeing a lot of traction in Indonesia. We're seeing a lot of traction in Thailand. We're seeing people very interested in how they can break the silos. So we love to come across as an industry and work together. We love conferences where we know what to say. But I think it's really time where we push ourselves in conferences and dialogue where we don't know much about the other industry. And that's the biggest challenge governments have, working together breaking the silos of interdepartmental silos and bringing people together to solve a problem. The business models are relevant and we must start discussing those and we're doing that across a broad range of countries. In fact, very a few weeks ago, we were in Australia and we were working uh, on what different verticals should we focus on bringing together a partner ecosystem. And lastly, what I would say is Nokia, because of our experience globally, we don't want to really lobby governments in a certain directions, but we want to be able to influence policy change. Because one of the things with digital transformation or as we move into digital, regulation is not something that we can not change. In fact, it might simply not just be about changing regulation. It might be completely transforming that regulation. And I don't want to move away from uh, digital transformation, but we can take fintech as an example and Bitcoin as what happened in the last couple of weeks. How are we going to respond as regulation across our countries for this? So we need to really move faster with that. And I think we are enabling that dialogue and that understanding with the service provider being a key stakeholder in there. What are the major challenges that you see governments have when it comes to implementation of smart cities? Is it just too much use cases out there and then they think of where to go into it? Or is it just mainly infrastructural implementation where the, t- the speed to implementation actually takes a little bit longer than what they would want to see within the next like one year? It could be two to three years kind of time frame. Yeah, I think, I think there are many challenges today, right? We're getting better. We're getting more responsive to situations. But I think if you look at the challenge, I think there needs to be a clear strategy. Today, governments don't have a strategy on how they're going to build smart cities. We have a smart city playbook that we launched, I think, in 2016. And we came up with three key principles. Very simple. We've got a, as a government, you need to decide what your smart city play is. So we call it a beta city. And a good example of a beta city would be, in fact, Singapore in some way or Dubai, where we've got a broader smart nation plan where everything plugs in together. So there is a strategy and says that each of the department needs to have an input into the strategy. So that's what we call a beta city, right? And that's a good one because it allows you to centrally control 
or decide the entire strategy of that city or that country and how you expect interdepartmental silos to be broken. The other thing is a platform city, which is slightly simpler. And what that means is they were able to bring together a number of industries and define them as the front runners. So let's say that we've got transportation industry and we've got the health industry and we say these are the two driving verticals that we're going to focus on and allow the industry to come together and focus on those verticals and drive a horizontal approach within those verticals. And then the rest of it and the third one would be typically what everyone is doing today is just more opportunistic looking at a use case, and that's where your comment comes in. There are just too many use cases. So it doesn't really work. There are too many use cases, too many people trying to sell the use cases, too many people involved in the technology as well as the solution, as well as the partner ecosystem. So I think we need to be able to work with the governments to define a clear strategy. Once they've got that path, then we can work with them to look at policy, to look at technology, and also to look at the business cases. And that's where we come in. But I think more and more, I personally feel we need to talk less about technology and more about the problems. That aligns with a lot of people I know in the IoT business. Everybody says, just let's not talk about the technology, but just focus on the business. So you have traveled probably across Asia Pacific. You have a first line of perspective to where the most interesting things that are happening. So what are the most interesting applications in IoT that you've seen in the last two, three years in Asia? So I'll give you my personal perspective and maybe also a Nokia perspective. From a, from a use case point of view, which makes most sense, where we're able to define business models and we're able to define a revenue stream, I think the most exciting innovations are probably in the industrial IoT area. And that is where the business models are emerging, clearly driving productivity, which is very important. We cannot emphasize enough that IoT is supposed to be a productivity driver, right? It, it's not a replacement of anything, but ensure that there is efficiency and productivity. So things like connected vehicle, predictive maintenance, all of these with the support of some algorithms and simple AI can increase productivity. We're in fact doing this today in our delivery centers out of India, Portugal, and others, where we're looking at simply allowing predictive analysis to fix some of the things that are happening in networks using IoT, using bots, robots, and so on to drive better experience. Obviously, this experience is not felt by the end user, but we're able to increase the productivity and ultimately provide us resilience that is needed in networks today. And we are bringing this to life in many, many different areas when it comes to that. Personally, I feel the most exciting cases, use cases that I'm seeing for me personally is probably in healthcare. There is just so much happening in healthcare. It is a regulated industry, so it takes a wide range of the globe, a wide, wide area in the globe. So things like remote healthcare, it's very simple. You know, some of these IoT use cases that allow you to do some remote healthcare work is fantastic and has a real social impact. Nokia itself has actually identified digital health to be one of the key things that they're focusing on. We acquired Wittings very recently, transformed it to a Nokia brand. In fact, if you will travel across the world, you will see Nokia back with digital health products such as thermometers and watches, heart rate monitors and weighing scales and so on. So we've taken a bet and we're hoping that this industry shapes up quite well, not consumer, aspect of it, but more the mid-tier healthcare aspect of it, where you're able to provide 
uh, preventive healthcare in some ways. Where do you see the networks business and the IoT business go in the next one, two years then? Well, there's a lot of speculation around that. First and foremost, I think connectivity remains a key thing. You know, we often talk about digital transformation and we forget that we've only connected 50% of the world. So we still have a long way to go. That's number one. We need to be able to bring broadband to you know the rest of the world very quickly. So that's where the emerging markets will continue to deploy heavy network infrastructure in the coming years. The other part will be with the advent of 5G and IoT, we will see productivity efforts. I think we've gone through the phase where people talked about IoT as something or as people talk about AI today. I think we're off that plateau now. We're there where we look at productivity aspects. We're looking at technology being an enabler. Today, from a networks business point of view, we're very engaged in network dimensioning. What does it need to drive service providers to the next phase of data. So we're looking at evolution paths. We're looking at broadband from a mobile networks point of view. We're looking at IP optical. I talked about our product. We're looking at how we can get things through faster and with much more capacity. I think there is a real trend in fixed and mobile convergence, and we'll see that happen across Asia. Uh, we're working with a number of service providers across Southeast Asia where this convergence is going to create a number of solutions for us. Uh, for our consumers. And I think if you look at one of the key things that are going to happen, we are going to see the partner ecosystem coming together. It's going to get more cohesive and it's going to be bringing, I think Nokia along with many others, our front runners to make this happen. Bringing together the ecosystem and people really understanding the value that IoT will be able to drive in our daily lives, connected lives, connected citizens, and everything else that we do today. This is still a continuous story that we will have to discuss at some point in time again, right? Absolutely. I think we need to have a continuing dialogue. There is a lot happening in this space. I think from an infrastructure point of view, our product portfolio is evolving. In terms of application and analytics, there's a lot happening. We recently acquired a company called Comptel, which provides you know, a new OSS solutions, so we didn't get to talk much about technology today, but there are specific areas such as billing that's going to change with things like IoT. So a lot happening in the space. So we need to keep the pulse, absolutely. Daniel, thank you for coming on the show. And of course, now in closing, I would want to ask you first is, can you recommend a book, movie, podcast, or anything else that has made an impact in your work or personal life recently? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, much of what I read never... It ever transpires to something to my work life. But recently I read Dare Not Linger, which is somewhat of a part two of A Long Walk to Freedom, a story of Mandela's presidency. And I thought that was quite inspiring with many values that we today and nuggets of leadership attributes that we want to exemplify. I think one that I really enjoyed a book on, maybe I'll just suggest two, which is more personal, is The Silk Road by somebody called Peter Frankopan. It's beautifully written history of the Silk Road and the resurgence of the East, which I find quite fascinating. In the last couple of centuries, I think we've forgotten the importance of evolution that it comes from this part of the world. So I think it's not really a lesson in history, but also an invitation for me personally to travel into Central Asia. And I think the timing could not be better as I reach an important age milestone in the next couple of years, I'm looking forward to traveling across Asia quite a lot as I move on to something more exciting. This is interesting that you recommend the Silk Road because we are now seeing the resurgence of China with the One Belt, One Road initiative. So they're rebuilding the Silk Road in a, in a modern digital way. And that's going to be something to watch in the next couple of years. So my last question then, 
how do my audience find you? I think the most easiest way is to look for me on LinkedIn. I'm very accessible and very responsive on LinkedIn, so please look me up. Also on Twitter, it's my first initial and last name, D-M-A-U-S-O-O-F. I'm, I'm active on Twitter, not as much, but I still try to keep up with it. So please look me up there or LinkedIn. And you can find me at Bernard Leung and BernardLeung.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast. And of course, tune in and Google Play in the US market. Tweet to us, give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And of course, recommend us with a star on Overcast. So once again, Daniel, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Bernard. It was a pleasure.